Thank you very, very much. I come here together with my wife often, and uh, I can compare sessions. I think this year is a very special year. Is it because the students that you are are better than the others? I would not want to insult the others. <laughs> I, I must apologize right away. We won't have time for questions. Although I am a teacher, I love questions. I teach my students, uh, really, the art of questioning. Because I believe that all of us must beware of certainties. And the only way, surely the best way, to question certainties is by questioning them. Now, <coughs> I'll tell you an anecdote which will maybe uh, contain many of the things I would, like, I would have liked to speak to you. The anecdote, uh, one of my favorites at once. In a restaurant, there is a man eating. All of a sudden, he calls the waiter. He says, sir, it's so cold here. Oh, he said, okay. Five minutes later, he calls the same waiter. Now it's too hot. Five minutes later, he calls him back. Now it's too cold. It goes on and on and on for a half hour. Next, at the next table, there was a man. He calls the waiter. He says, it is weird. This man is driving you crazy. And the waiter says, he's driving me crazy. I am driving him crazy. There is no con air conditioner. <laughs> now, that is really the question. Is there an air conditioner? <laughs> is there a secret to what we are doing? Are we all driving someone mad? In my novels especially, I have written a lot about madness. A lot. For all kinds of reasons. Later, I found out really the real reason was that in my hometown, which was Hungary, Romania, uh, there was a mental institution. On the Saturday, every Saturday, my, my, my father would go to prison to visit the prisoners. My mother and sisters would go to the hospital to visit people in the hospital. And occasionally, I would go to bring fruit and candy to those who were in a mental institution. That's how I met madmen. And I realized later on that they have a world which wasn't mine. And I wanted actually to enter their world. What does a madman see? What does a madman feel? Whom does he see when he sees me? And then, of course, the theme of madness changed uh, levels. At times, I wonder maybe it is possible for madness to erupt into history. Uh, the Crusades, for sheer madness. The Inquisition, sheer madness. Maybe in the 20th century, communism was madness. Nazism was madness. Maybe the greatest tragedy that occurred in human history was simply a product of madness. Now, you are here, all young, eager to learn. And I listened since last, we were here, Marion and I, since last night. We heard last night three great speeches. Today, very interesting. And there's one word that was missing in all of them. Memory. Now, I believe in memory. I have written almost 50 books. What they have in common really is a commitment to memory. Because I believe memory plays an important role, not only in education, in civilization, but in human relations. That means I become your memory 
as you become mine. What is the bridge? Is it words? Is it something else? I listened to Tom Friedman today, and of course, not only he can bring passion to something which is absolutely passionless, a computer. <laughs> I know nothing about computers. I really listened with great interest, I must say, because he's a great journalist. But how can he be so excited about computers? I am not. I don't know how to handle it. I still write longhand. One day, my son, our son, said to me, he was at Yale studying, uh, majoring in computer science, and said, Dad, I'm embarrassed you don't use a computer. So for my son, I would do anything. So he brought me a computer. And, uh, and I worked very early in the morning. And I got up in the morning, and, and that day, God was with me. I wrote 20 pages, and they were, I felt they were, they were good, which is rare. Usually it goes to the garbage. I felt those pages were good with two fingers, and all of a sudden the screen went blank. <laughs> My wife came in, and I was changing colors. <laughs> My computer got Alzheimer. And what was the worst part of it, that actually, I was writing a novel about Alzheimer. <laughs> now, that novel is called The Forgotten. And usually, I, I, I write for you, for young, my, my readers are young readers. And therefore, I have never given to my publisher a novel unless there was at least a spark of hope in it. I feel I have no right to give you more reasons to despair. You have enough. Here, impossible to find a single spark of, of hope. Alzheimer's is a cancer of identity. It's the end, literally the end. I compare an Alzheimer's patient to a, to a book. I compare everything to a book. Because you tear off one page, and then the next page, and then the next page. At the end, there is nothing except the two covers. That is the Alzheimer's patient. It, and I kept the novel in my drawer for more than a year until I found a way. I found at least a spark of hope in that. I won't give it to you because who knows, maybe you'll buy the book. My very dear young friends, really, I speak to you as a teacher. The teacher in me is a writer, and the writer in me is a teacher. And what I want you to know, if I go on teaching and writing, it's because this century is your century, not mine. It's for you to shape it. I almost said for you to save it. What can I tell you that I have learned from life, which I think may be important to you, First of all, the, everybody mentioned education, absolutely. Whatever the question, the, the essential question, the existential question is, education must be its major component. Second, do not see in the other an enemy. 
not even an adversary. I have learned that. Now, I had all the reasons in the world, believe me, to see in the other a source of danger. Usually, usually when, when I go in the street and something happens and I feel fear, I go to the policeman and say, help me. In my time, in my youth, the policeman was the enemy. And therefore, I know today it's again, I have to make, I have to make an adjustment to see in the policeman a protector of the right, as in the judge. The judge then was the enemy. Today I know the judge is just the opposite. The judge is here to protect the law and those who, and those who believe in the law, as I do. I had all the rights in the world, all the reasons in the world, believe me, to give up on God. I have, I have seen what I had seen. And the question really for me was and still is, am I God's victim, God's orphan, God's prisoner, or God's ally? It's my choice, not his. Furthermore, yes, but we have heard from all of these speakers, yes, the planet has become small. What does it mean? It means that whatever happens in Rwanda affects me. And if people in Rwanda die, and I at least should do what I can do, raise my voice, then I am responsible. Whatever happens in Darfur today, my God, if I don't shout that something is wrong with me, not with Darfur, because Darfur is not there, Darfur is here in my heart. Second, I have learned that the worst sin, of course, is to be a spectator. We are not spectators, we are participants. If a person suffers and, and I keep quiet again, then I am responsible for that person's suffering. There are so many lessons that I have learned. At the same time, I know, when I go into my classroom, believe me, and I love my students, so often, I, I feel sad for them. What century have I left for them? Wherever you look, something is wrong. Wars, and more wars, and more wars. When will it end? My God, when will it end? It ends in one place, it begins another one. Civil wars, religious wars. All kinds of wars, absurd, stupid, grotesque wars in the world. What for? President Clinton sent me in the mid-90s, mid no, later on, because I was involved, it's true what he said. I, I, I pushed him about Bosnia. I should go there. So I went as a presidential envoy to, to all the camps, to the refugee camps. I would go literally from house to house, from tent to tent, speaking to the victims. That's all my role, to speak to victims. And I listened. And the, incredible, not one person completed the story. He or she always, in the middle of the, of the story, burst out in tears. And then I felt maybe this is the role of the writer today, to collect their tears and turn them into a story, and perhaps into prayer. 
No, you heard yesterday, last night, a, a marvelous, marvelous, extraordinary speech about the civil rights. It's true. But I came to America. I went on a coast-to-coast trip because I was a journalist from New York, Los Angeles, and San Francisco and back. And I remember when I came to the South for the first time, and I saw not only racism at work, but racism being the law. The law. It was lawful to humiliate another person because of his or her color. For the first time in my life, I felt shame. I never felt shame during the war. I felt, I felt crushed, but the word shame never entered my, my mind or my psyche. Now I felt shame for being white. And if I became involved in that struggle, and later we went to, to South Africa, my, my wife and I, we brought out everything. It's because I felt shame whenever I saw the law becoming inhuman. But it changed. It's true. It took the courage of a few people and their allies and their friends and the law, at least, there are racists today, as there are anti-Semites today. Yes. There are even Holocaust deniers today. There are. But the law remained the law. So what can I tell you? Believe me, if I were alone, I probably had the right, I would have had the right to say, come on, it's enough. I have told my tale. I have written my books, I have taught my classes, and now it's time to go. Let somebody else do it. But I'm not alone. No human being is alone. God alone is alone. We are responsible. That means there is response in responsibility. The best response. And I am responsible for your memories. I am responsible for your lives, at least for one moment. And the only advice, help I can give you is one. You collect information at school from your computers. It's much more important to collect from each other. Because information is important. Because it brings knowledge. And it's not the same thing. Knowledge has a metaphysical component, and I teach philosophy. So remember, knowledge is important. Then the main thing, whatever you do, whatever you acquire, whatever you achieve, should have a moral dimension. Moral dimension means to feel the other person's pain and joy. In one sentence, if I were to give you an advice, as a very old teacher, I would say that whatever endeavor, whatever endeavor you, you take on, think higher, but feel deeper. Thank you very much.